Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Helen Keller says, The mind is as big as the universe. Theoretical physicist Miko Kaku says, The human brain has a hundred billion neurons. Each neuron is connected to 10,000 other neurons. Sitting on your shoulders is the most complicated object in the known universe. John Milton says, The mind is a universe and can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. Einstein says, Only two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not sure about the former, he says. (laughs) And Bob Marley, man is a universe within himself. In 2019, an astrophysicist, Franco Vaza, and a neuroscientist, Alberto Folletti, teamed up to compare the starry night skies, the universe, to compare them with a network of neurons in the human brain. And they published a paper in the journal Frontiers in Physics titled The Quantitative Comparison Between the Neuronal Network and the Cosmic Web. Sounds big and fancy. What were they doing? Well, one of them used a telescopic, a telescope, telescopic technology to peer out into the cosmic web of galaxies, like millions of light years away. And the other one used an electron microscope to peer into the human brain, the neuronal network, just three pounds of human tissue, neurons, synapses. And so they're looking in completely different directions. And yet these two scientists looking in opposite directions, comparing light years with micrometers realized that what they were seeing was strikingly similar. What they were seeing in the human brain and what they were seeing out in the universe was super, super similar. They found that the human brain and the universe, the two most complex structures known to humanity, bear an uncanny resemblance. They have a tantalizing degree of similarity. They crunched the numbers. They compared the structures of a hundred billion galaxies and a hundred trillion neuronal connections. Nodes, filaments, neural clusters compared with stars, nebulas, black holes, and galaxies. And they found that in both systems, Only 30% of their mass is composed of something, composed of galaxies and neurons. And in both systems, 70%, the rest of it is like simply nothing. It's either water or it's dark matter. 
And so in both systems, they found that the galaxies and the neurons are arranged in strikingly similar ways. They compared the spectral density, the average number of connections, the clusters of connections, and they found highly similar levels of complexity and organization. So despite the radically different scales, like on the one end looking at light years worth of distance versus micrometers, just these tiny, tiny little distances, they're looking at these different scales, but they felt like they were looking at nearly the same picture. And so they concluded by saying the tantalizing degree of similarity that our analysis exposes seems to suggest that the self-organization of both complex systems is likely being shaped by similar principles of network dynamics despite the radically different scales and processes at play. Have you ever thought of the human mind, your brain, as being as complex and mysterious and beautiful and masterful as the starry night sky, the vast Milky Way and beyond? We certainly are a complex mystery. And yes, even with our incredible technology and powerful telescopes, there's still so much we don't understand about outer space, about dark matter and black holes. And we find the same amount of mystery when we try to look deep inside our own minds, when we try to understand ourselves, when we start asking, who am I? Despite the advances of science and psychology and philosophy and sociology, we're still left with so many questions. The best science fails to tell us why we're here and how we should live. And the best psychology, yeah, it can name the patterns that we live by, but we're all so much more complex than just a set of patterns. And the best sociology can describe how people live collectively, but it fails to describe what's actually going on inside of you. And the best philosophy wrestles with what matters and why does it matter, and yet it can still leave things out and fail to really tell the whole story about you. And so all of these are unable to guide you completely in how you should live. Our interior and our exterior lives are a universe. We're such complex bundles of psychological baggage and generational factors and self-defeating habits and emotional issues and compulsions and addictions and genetics and competing desires and inner demons and purpose and meaning and motivations. And we want desperately to understand ourselves. Who am I at my core? What does it mean to be true to myself? As psychologist Richard Beck points out, we're masters of self-deception. We want more than one life. We want to be more than one person. We struggle to know what we really want. Our idea of who we want to be, who we really are, bounces around. 
our idea of our true self is a kind of a moving target. We build our identity and our self-image out of these stories that we tell ourselves, which are truth and lies. We're moody, we're fickle, we're volatile, we're jumpy. We question ourselves, we change majors, change hair color, change jobs, go through midlife crisis. We're self-absorbed, unsettled, anxious, neurotic, desperate for some kind of meaning, some kind of purpose, direction. And it's like looking into our own dark matter, like looking into outer space, our own, looking into our own black holes. There's so much that we don't understand about who we are. We look in the mirror and we wonder, why do you do the things that you do? And when are you going to ever figure out your life and get your act together? And what's wrong with you? And you're supposed to be grown up and mature by now. And so we take personality quizzes and name our strengths and draft a new mission statement and search out our genealogy and start new hobbies and start new jobs and start a new life. Our mind is a universe, a billion light years of galaxies and complexity all strung together, full of black holes and dark matter and other mysteries. But where is our North Star within that universe? Like, how will we navigate as we look inward into the universe of our mind? There's a reason that the self-help industry is worth billions of dollars. Humans are trying to understand the universe of their mind. They're trying to figure out how to comprehend the moving target of their true self. They're trying to find a North Star to navigate by, to figure out how to live well. And so we fill ourselves up with knowledge and data and theories and information. In self-reliance, we try to become clever enough to live by our own wits. We so dearly want to be right. We so dearly want to defeat our enemies with our information and our data. Just take a look at social media. Everyone's certain they're right. Everyone's trying to wield their knowledge, their right ideas against others. And we tell ourselves that if we just have the right information, then everything will take care of itself. We believe that knowledge is power, and we sure love power. So if other people just had the right information, the information we've got, then they'd know how to live, and they'd know what to think, and they'd be just like us. That's <laughs> what we think. So here we are, in our information-saturated world, and we replay those right ideas that we have in our minds over and over and turn those ideas into our story of reality, loving this sound of our echo chamber. We love to be right. And in the midst of it all, people are still floundering in their own black holes, in their own dark matter of who they are, unable to find their North Star to help them navigate their life, what are they looking for? They are searching for wisdom. Now, we often confuse knowledge 
and education for wisdom. We confuse information for wisdom. We think, well, if I gain more information, somehow that will lead to wisdom. Or we confuse IQ with wisdom. We, we think that being right is the same as having wisdom. Or maybe age plus experience equals wisdom. And sadly, we just want to be right more than we even want to be wise. We just want to be right. Now, all of this brings us to the letter of James. James says in chapter 1, he says, Let endurance have its perfect result, so that y'all will be mature and complete, lacking no one. If any of y'all lacks wisdom, let him or her ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, without making you feel inadequate. And it, wisdom, will be given to him or her. But when you ask, you must ask in faith without separating, because the one who separates is like the surf of the sea. They are blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So, if education and knowledge are not the same as wisdom, then what is wisdom? And if your IQ level isn't the same as wisdom, what is wisdom? If it's possible to be right but not be wise, then what is wisdom? Is wisdom simply the ability to work your way through the problems of life? An illustration for all of the video gamers out there, like is James basically saying, is this a scripture about cheat codes for the game of life? Like we face a perplexing situation in life. We face obstacles that we don't know how to overcome. And so we ask God for cheat codes. Is James saying, if any of y'all need cheat codes, just ask God, who gives cheat codes generously to all without finding fault. But when you ask, you you have to plug in the cheat code, otherwise it won't work. Is that what James is saying? James isn't trying to offer us information. James is trying to offer us transformation. He's trying to offer us a divine encounter. You see, wisdom, all throughout Scripture, wisdom is a divine person. In the Old Testament, wisdom is a woman preparing a beautiful banquet and inviting people off the streets to come in and dine. You can find uh, numerous examples. One would be like Proverbs 9. And then in the New Testament, wisdom is a man from Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth. And once again, the dining, eating with anyone and everyone. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. All throughout the New Testament, people are constantly asking Jesus questions 
and Jesus almost never answers their questions directly. Jesus responds with different questions rather than answers, or he tells a story that opens up a new perspective, or he asks a question that reveals motivations. He points towards a different way. New Testament scholar Marcus Borg says, Wisdom is not just about moral behavior, but about the center. It's about the place from which moral perception and moral behavior flow. So to ask God for a divine encounter, to ask God for wisdom, does not mean that we're asking for a roadmap to life. It doesn't mean we're asking for the right information or for cheat codes or for clarity on every single decision, every single fork in the road. It means to receive a way of being, a way of living in the midst of the myriad of situations where we don't know what to do. It means being given the the ability to see, the ability to see the meaning and the significance of things. It has to do with the capacity to understand. So it's not what you know. It's not how much you know. It's an ability to see. We stare into the universe of our mind. We stare into the complexity, the moving target of true self. We stare into our own black holes, our own dark matter, and we distort reality. We don't see our situation as it really is. We see what we're looking for. We see the story that we're telling ourselves about reality. Family systems theorist Steve Cuss says, the story we tell ourselves infects reality and it shapes what actually is and it turns it into what we think is. So to receive wisdom means to receive a divine encounter that enables us to see reality as it is. And it requires us setting aside all of our presuppositions and assumptions and preconceived values and opinions and judgments to receive a fully open look at the situation. It's not God showing us what's wrong with others. It's God showing us what it looks like to live the Jesus way in our life, in our body, in our situation. It is God generously giving us a real glimpse of the best possible way to live in the midst of the complexity and the perplexity of our current situation. Wisdom recognizes there are hundreds, even thousands of scenarios where good information can be misapplied. And so wisdom recognizes the tension, the obscurity, the offense, the inconsistency, the paradox, within our information-saturated world. Like you can have all of the right information and still not become anything like Jesus. 
You can saturate yourself with theological and biblical information and not be living the Jesus way. Don Riso says, Only if we are not obsessed with being right will we be able to find true righteousness, true justice. Theologian and biomedical ethicist Ben Mitchell says, The life of wisdom is not so much about rules as inhabiting a way of life. It is living with a certain set of values and occupying a kind of character. For James, the author of this letter, wisdom is all about practicing a life of self-giving love that draws us toward each other, even towards our enemies. Later in his letter, James describes wisdom in this way. He says, but the wisdom that comes from above leads us to be pure. It is peace-loving, gentle at all times, reasonable, willing to listen, willing to yield to others, full of compassion, full of mercy, helpful, genuine, and sincere. It shows no favoritism. When peacemakers plant seeds of peace, they will harvest justice. So what's on offer here is a divine encounter that God generously gives without making us feel small or inadequate, without finding fault in us. There's no way of controlling what Jesus may show you, how Jesus may challenge you to live. You might be surprised what Jesus shows you. You might be surprised what you see about yourself, about your situation. You might be surprised what Jesus tells you is most important in your situation. Christians often want to control what the Spirit of Jesus says to other people. It makes them nervous. They want other humans to turn out like them, and so it's as if they don't trust Jesus with other people. But there's really only one condition to receive this generous gift from God. James says, when you ask, you must ask in faith without separating, because the one who separates is like the surf of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Remember what faith is, asking in faith? We talked about this last week. If you, if you watched the sermon from last week or were with us, faith, pistis, is this willingness to bind yourself to a person or to a group. It's the you can count on me factor. And the opposite action from faith is separating. The word is diacrino. The original meaning is to separate by clans or tribes. And diacrino is like this intensive form of the root word crino, which is often translated to judge. So it means to criticize and censure and condemn and discriminate and conclude that, yes, there is a difference between us, and then to withdraw from whoever it is. Now, you may look at your Bible 
James chapter 1 and say, well, wait a minute, my Bible says, my translation reads doubt. Uh, it says you must ask in faith and you must not doubt. Well, in our modern world of ideas, that word doubt, it, it sounds like, like we're dealing with ideas. When we hear that word doubt, we think, oh, someone isn't sure about a certain idea. But this word diacrino, it's not an ideas kind of word. It's a people and relationships kind of word. And the reason it's sometimes translated as doubt is to reflect someone who has separated from themselves. So they are at variance with themselves. Modern psychologists might call it cognitive dissonance. The, the two separations actually go together. Those who separate from themselves often separate from others. Those who separate from others often end up separating from themselves. The opposite, just to, sometimes it's helpful to know what's the opposite of what someone's saying. The opposite of the word James is using, separate, is sugkrino, which is to have all things combined and not separate. So James is describing if you're asking and you are separated from others or separated from yourself, he says it, you're, you're double-minded. And that word double-minded means literally to have two selves. It's like you're trying to be two souls. You're, you want to be two different persons, two different people, have two different lives you have this divide at your core of your being, the essence of who you are. And if you're separated from yourself or separating from others, James is saying, well, God's not going to violate your own will and force on you something you actually don't want. And so God is unable to give you this divine encounter where you would gain a vision of how to live the Jesus way in your current circumstances. Wanting to be two different people and have two different lives creates widespread instability that affects your entire life. James says it makes you unstable in all your ways. Just like water, the illustration he gives, the, the surf, the waves of the sea, water cannot control where the wind blows it. And just like that, you find yourself just blown and tossed here and there. This is the moving target of self. It's you're floundering in your own black holes and dark matter. You're unable to find your north star to navigate by. The mind is a universe. Sitting on top of your shoulders is this organ of immense complexity. Is it possible that within the complexity of the universe of your mind, that there is a North Star, that there is a God who, when you ask, would generously whisper the way of Jesus. Not a roadmap, not cheat codes, not the right information, but whisper some way of being, virtues for life, virtues for living in your current situation, some kind of an ability to see clearly and to love fully and to draw closer to others. But the wisdom that comes from above, James says, 
leads us to be pure and peace-loving and gentle at all times, reasonable, willing to listen, willing to yield to others, full of compassion, full of mercy, helpful, genuine, sincere, showing no favoritism. When peacemakers plant seeds of peace, they harvest justice. Perhaps it's no accident that in all of these ancient stories, God invited humans to look at the stars of the universe to see a picture of who and what they would become. Like God takes Abram outside in Genesis 15 and says, Look up at the sky. Count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your descendants be. And often we're just thinking numbers there. But is that a picture of who and what God wants all of us to become? God uses that same language over and over, not just with Abram, but with Isaac and Jacob and the people of Israel and David and the Levites and Daniel. Daniel writes, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to justice are like the stars forever and ever. The Apostle Paul writes, You will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of of life. Is it possible that the God of this universe has been reaching to show us this way of being for millennia? So today we're going to close with a wisdom asking exercise. Asking for God to show us the North Star to navigate by within the universe of our mind. The most important thing we can do today doesn't have to do with information. It has to do with an encounter with Jesus. And it's worth noting that this experience of listening to Jesus will likely not generate very much. If you're someone who's separated from yourself or separated from others, wanting to be more than one person, ambivalent towards your community of faith. Start out just simply by thinking about a situation that has been troublesome lately. Think about some of the trials you've been going through, an area where you've been unsure how to see, how to navigate, how to live. I'll give you a moment simply to sit and be and, and think about that situation. As you have that in your mind, set aside all your presuppositions. Obviously, you have assumptions. About that situation. You have some preconceived values, some opinions, some judgments. You probably have some ideas of answers, ways that you think everything should work out. 
even go so far as to identify the answer, the thing that you expect Jesus to say to you about that situation. Take all of those things and set them aside. Put them somewhere in your mind where if you've got a junk drawer, put them in the junk drawer. Set them aside. They are not a part of this conversation right now. Become completely open. Now close your eyes. Take a big breath in. Let it out slowly. And say in your heart, Jesus, give me wisdom. Help me see. Jesus, give me wisdom. Help me see. And then just wait. Let there be space. See what emerges. How is Jesus showing you to live? Friends, I have no idea how Jesus just spoke to you, what Jesus may have said. I do know that the way that Jesus speaks is often surprising, and Jesus has this way of saying something that didn't address anything that we thought needed addressed and yet says something that reaches so much deeper and is so much more important, the thing that we actually needed to hear the most. And Jesus' words change us. I invite you to hold on to those words. It might help you to write them down, to hold on and let those words change you. Those who are wise, those who have the wisdom those who have Jesus will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to justice are like the stars forever and ever. Love you, friends.
Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.